everyone <laughs> and welcome to drink <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to what's in your hometown where we talk about the dirty little secrets in your backyard yeah um if you can't tell we're both pretty sick right now <laughs> that that last episode where i was like i'm not sick i had allergies <laughs> i was wrong no i got pretty sick this is the best my voice has sounded in like the past in a week, week yeah. easily so <laughs> get, getting right back into it what's in your backyard this week julia well my backyard has contained a lot of stardew valley I love Stardew Valley. I love it so much. I've not done anything else for the last three days. I've not seen the sun or felt the wind on my face. It's <laughs> you, just... didn't, you didn't paint with all the colors of the wind? I did not. No, I painted with all the colors of my watering can that can water more than one square at a time. Um, well, I, I guess that's... in pixels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean... Okay, um... Oh, me. So, yes, what's in your backyard? I went to my first Renaissance fair the other day. How was that? Oh, it was hot as hell. I figured. Yeah. I looked real cute going in, and then I I think I sweated off a whole nother me, <laughs> and I did not look the same way coming out. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot of fun. I do have to say, though, my, like, if law school doesn't work out, I'm just going to make flower crowns and sell them for $120 at Renaissance fairs. Are you serious? Yes. Were they fresh flowers or were they? No, no. They were fake like flowers. Fake, you get it at Michael's on sale flowers. Okay. And they just sold them for an outrageous price, which is a great business method because you get people like at this renaissance fair who don't come in costume and they get there and they're like i want to be a princess (laughs) and you will pay anything to be a princess princess for a day yeah yeah so that's my new i think that's all that's been in my backyard is that renaissance fair that was really fun though it was a lot of fun i was so fucking tired yesterday and then i cleaned house yesterday and so i woke up at like 9 30 today and went oh jesus why am i still alive <laughs> last night was your optimal chance to take me i would have come willingly <laughs> are you gonna go first this time or am i gonna go first i forget i'm a pretty long one do you want to go first and then I'll wrap it up? Yeah, I don't have I don't have a long one. Okay. Um, today I will be talking about the legend of Screaming Jenny. Oh, I know this legend. I know. It's so good. Um, it's not good. It's actually horribly depressing. Yeah. But um, so Screaming Jenny is one of those 19th century ghosts that haunts Harper's Ferry in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So the furthest east point of the state. And she was a woman who was living right around Harper's Ferry about the time that the B&O Railroad was finished. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, When you construct a railroad, you have all these shacks everywhere that are like storage sheds for all of the stuff that you need to build a railroad. Well, once it's done... The stuff and the people. 
Yeah. Well, not not the people, just the stuff. Oh, the, pe- oh, the people. The right. people go. The people live in something else. They don't live in anything. That was the point of the railroads. You just <laughs> slap beside the railroad. Um, but no, I mean after after the railroad construction was complete. Uh, they kind of packed up and went to continue constructing the railroad in other parts of what was then Northern Virginia. Once the construction kind of packed up and moved on, they left a lot of the storage sheds Mm -hmm. because those aren't, you know, you don't move those very easily. It's just easier to construct new ones wherever you need them. Yeah, it's just easier to leave them to rot. Yeah. Uh, and they weren't particularly well built, um, because they weren't supposed to house people. They didn't have any sort of insulation. They didn't have any sort of, like, weatherproofing, really. It was enough to keep the rain off your stuff. But if you build it, they will come. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, once these shacks started to be abandoned by the company, people started to move into them. Uh, and it was usually people who were desperately poor and who just needed some place over their head. Yeah, a yeah. roof over there, just some place to keep the weather off. And Jenny was one of these people, and she was, by all accounts, gentle and kind, and she was always in pretty high spirits despite her awful circumstances. She was just one of those people that there's a bright side to everything, and she would try and find it. Yeah, and so nothing good can ever happen to her. Yeah, nothing good can ever happen to good people. No. Um, She didn't have any family to speak of. She didn't have anyone to protect her or take her in. And she'd fallen on some hard times. So she decided that she was going to occupy one of the smaller sheds Mm -hmm. and kind of wait out this bad period in her life until she could get back on her feet. Girl, I've been waiting out this bad period in my life since, like, middle school. It's been a hot minute. (laughs) (laughs) Um... It was one evening, it was a very cold evening, Mm -hmm. in late autumn, uh, which means that it was drizzly and just kind of generally awful. So anyway, one very chilly night in late autumn. I'm going to assume that means November-ish. Not pleasant weather. Mm. Jenny was in her little shed and she had built a fire to try and warm it up and she was eating like a bowl of broth. Yeah. And one of the embers from the fire caught on her skirts and she didn't notice it uh she was really concerned with trying to eat because she hadn't been eating very much she was desperately poor yeah um and when she finally did notice it it was just it was too far gone she tried to put the fire out with the soup that she was eating and it didn't work so she oh gosh wasn't very far from the harper's ferry (laughs) station And she got up out of her house and she started to scream and run towards the station as fast as she could go. But she was on fire. Yeah. My notes say her body was a glowing inferno and within minutes she was overwhelmed with pain. Oh, Jesus. Um, Yeah, dude. Like, okay, I'm sorry. There's one way that I don't want to go. Fire. 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 Yes. I don't want to be burned alive. Um, I will taken any other way than to be burned alive yep anyway she's she's still trying very hard to make her way towards this train station and she's getting slower and slower because she's on fire on fire and her screams are getting more frantic frantic and wails and just blood curdling awful horrible sounds and what she didn't notice is she was running towards the station on the tracks oh <gasps> 
though she didn't notice that there was a train coming. She couldn't see the light, and she didn't hear the whistles. And so this screaming ball of fire got hit by a train and was killed instantly. Oh, no. Uh, And the, the... engineer for the train uh freaked out real bad as as you would yeah um i'm sure he didn't even know what he'd hit no i i'm assuming that she wouldn't have been recognizable as a, point, as a person yeah, no. really um but he scoops her up and he tries to take her to the train station because he scooped her there was something left of her there was something left of her oh no yeah um, scooped her up and he took her to the trains. Obviously, there was nothing he could do. Like by the time he got to her, she was oh she, she was dead. real dead. Yeah, <laughs> she was real dead. She's real dead. There Not are different slightly. degrees of dead. That was very dead. <laughs> okay. Um, what's slightly dead then? Like I don't know. Like you're dead, but like you can still come back if with medical intervention. Story? Like, did you hear this story? It was, I saw it recently. It might have been on Reddit, so it might have not have been, like, a recent story, but I saw it recently, where it was, like, the woman who had frozen to death, and they dethought her, and she was still alive. Yeah, so, like, that would be slightly, slightly dead. dead. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, the kid who fell in, like, the freezing water and drowned and was dead for, like, a solid 40 minutes or something. Yeah. And was clearly dead but then with medical intervention he came back and he like didn't even have brain damage because the water was cold enough that's slightly dead this is very dead (laughs) slightly dead is any like any child in the 90s who wasn't bleeding (laughs) i don't he's not breathing it's just slightly dead there's no blood it's fine (laughs) he'll come back (laughs) okay they said all the bleeding was internal that's where all your blood's supposed to be that's where the blood's supposed to be. But anyway, he scooped her up and he took her back to the train station to try and get some help for her, which there was none. So she was buried. She was given a pauper's funeral because there she didn't she have any family. She didn't have any money. She didn't have any resources. So she was buried. And people pretty well forgot about her for about a month. And then, after a month, another train engineer came through Harper's Ferry and his train hit a ball of fire on the tracks Uh, and he stopped the train and he freaked out and he was like oh god I don't know what happened but there was nothing there so he goes to the to the station and he tries to tell everybody about it and they're like oh no (laughs) it's it's Jenny Jenny. (laughs) after hearing about what the train can or the train engineer had gone through uh, everybody sort of started to remember Jenny because that was how she had died. And to this day, engineers from nearby towns say that they don't like to drive through Harper's Ferry when it's misty out. And she will appear every year on her, the anniversary of her death, begging for someone to help her. Oh. Until her ghost vanishes into the night. About to say flickers out. <laughs> Uh, no. Um, can you? I just feel like Harper's Ferry at this point would be like, we don't run trains on this day. And it's like one coal baron that's like, I need to get. No, 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 no. <laughs> we don't run trains on this day. Um, 
But anyway, my sources are from the Dark Hauntings WordPress, AmericanFolklore.net, and Spooky South by Essie Slosher. I, I need to know more about Spooky South as a website. It's a book. It's a book? It's a book. Yes. It was, I think, the original source material for this for both American Folklore and the Dark Hauntings WordPress. I love the name Spooky South. Right? It's got a really cool, it's got really nice cover art, too. I just imagine, like, (laughs) Scooby-Doo and the Spooky South. (laughs) (laughs) Scooby-Doo and the gang visits the Spooky South. (laughs) Anyway... Everything we do from here on else, we have to like put on a scale of slightly, <laughs> slightly dead, dead to, to very dead. dead. <laughs> All right, so I chose to do something outside of West Virginia. You know what I, I chose to do because I've been enamored with this ever since I heard about it. You have been, but I've been trying very hard to like. I knew we were going to do an episode about this, and I've been like, "Don't tell me, don't tell me." Yeah. So. So I chose to do the House of 200 Demons, also known as the Ammons Haunting Case. And I first heard about this on um, the podcast, and that's why we drink. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, I loved the story of the haunting. And at the end of it, they bring up that it's now a documentary by Zach Baggins, who did Ghost Adventures on Sci-Fi. Okay. So I went on Prime, and the off chance that maybe Prime has it. And it turns out Prime did have it, so I watched it in the dark, alone, and I got finished with the documentary. The documentary is called Demon House. I got finished with the documentary, and there's, like, the back of my apartment has a window that faces one of the um, lamp posts, like, outside. Yeah. So it's always light. As soon as I finished watching this documentary, it all, it's almost like the lamppost just clicked off and it just went completely dark in the back of my oh, house. No. And I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I texted Cody and I was like, well, when are you going to be home from work? And he's like, uh, in a couple hours. And I was like, mm, but now. <laughs> <laughs> because I had freaked myself off out thoroughly. So I turned on like all of the lights and started watching a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> but it was... Like, we've talked about this before. I don't really buy into all the whole, like, all of the ghost TV shows. Mm-hmm. But there were things in this documentary that freaked me out. Yeah. So, today I'm doing the Ammons Hauntings case about what happened before the documentary and then covering some of the documentary. So, uh, it all starts in 2011 when Latoya Ammons, her mother Rose Campbell, and her three children moved into a rental house on Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. Oh, Gary, Indiana is a rough place. Gary, Indiana is a real rough place. What What year was this? 2011. Oh, Gary, Indiana is a really rough, rough, rough place. place. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I know <laughs> Sorry, nothing. there was that one episode of Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> professors like even i wouldn't send you to gary indiana <laughs> yeah no it's a rough place and i don't know geography at all so when i watched the documentary and it was like eight foot of snow everywhere i was like oh okay so it's that kind of place <laughs> so they moved into this house in 2011, and the owner of the house said he never had any problems with the house before, like any of the tenants. However, um, during Zach Baggins' documentary, uh, a previous tenant 
Mika comes forth and she states that her friends would complain of hearing things like when they stayed the night with her and also that she had dreamt of somebody dying while she was in the house and then her brother who lived in a room in the basement was later shot and killed and I think he shot and killed himself oh so the owner of the house is a liar <laughs> okay but like you're trying to rent this place out of course you're gonna be like no we haven't had problems here thing. like the owner of the house said oh we never had any problems with this after zach baggins bought the house so that wasn't a problem anymore i mean i guess i'd still be like there's not demons in my house but there's like everyone that's gone into the house has had problems mm-hmm. so far um there was squatters there and one of the squatters said they didn't have a problem and then her boyfriend was like ha 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 so I did <laughs> <laughs> I definitely had a problem here <laughs> but um anyway so Latoya Ammons this all started in uh 2011 with Latoya Ammons her mother and her children uh Shortly after Ammons moved into the house, they reported that black flies would swarm the porch in the middle of December. So there shouldn't have been any flies outside. No, there but, shouldn't have been. Like the way this porch, or, like the way the house is, is it's like an enclosed porch and then the house. So they would just, there would be hundreds and hundreds of black flies in the windows of, in the windows of the enclosed porch. They're so not on the outside, but in the house, basically. And they said that they would, like, continuously kill the flies only for them to come back. And they would black out the windows. So that's strange to begin with. And at that point, I'd be like, maybe I don't live here anymore. (laughs) Um, They would also hear footsteps in the basement and would hear the door, um, because it's like the basement door is in the kitchen, so they would hear the door creaking open but they'd see nothing there mm-hmm. um one night the grandmother rose campbell said she woke up to see a shadowy figure of a man pacing in her living room mm-hmm. uh, when mm-hmm. she went to investigate the man had disappeared but she found large wet boot, print, boot prints on the floor of the living room i feel like if you have the option to move definitely leave that might be a good thing to do and if you don't have the option to move get a dog i I was gonna say start cleansing the house now yeah burn some sage (laughs) sage. so after that happened uh campbell claimed that she had also been choked by an unknown force on march 10th 2012 ammons and campbell um who were up that night because it was 2 a.m but they were up mourning the loss of a loved one when they suddenly heard um the children screaming for their mother for ammons the two ladies ran into campbell's room where campbell's 12 year old granddaughter was uh staying there with some friends both ammons and campbell saw the girl levitating unconscious above the bed Mm. okay i'm I'm not gonna spend the night at your house anymore if i find you (laughs) levitating above your bed you're like that's enough for me i don't blame you please don't spend the night at my house anymore if you find me levitating you also can't come to my house anymore but i'll see you at school i feel like (laughs) law school's hell enough that a demon attached to you would just get confused and be like i'm home so yeah (laughs) 
So they saw her levitating above the bed. They surrounded her and started praying. And after a while, she descended and woke up. And she had no memory of ever levitating. She did not know what happened to her. Uh, They were freaked out, of course. I can't imagine her friends going (laughs) home the next day. She was levitating. I don't want to go to her house anymore. (laughs) Um, So after this, Cammons and Am... Campbell and Ammons went in search of a church that would help them. Most of the churches didn't believe them, but one church on Carolina Street uh, determined that the house had spirits in it and recommended the women, now this is strange to me, recommended the women clean the home with bleach and ammonia and then use oil to draw crosses on the doors and the windows. The oil I get, the bleach and ammonia, you can't mix bleach and ammonia. It will kill you. Yeah. And whatever's in there. <laughs> I don't think a demon's going to be real concerned about the bleach and the ammonia. <laughs> I think he's going to be like, no, I've breathed through worse. <laughs> so, where did... Oh, he's right there. So, I mean, that just seems strange to me, that suggestion, the bleach and ammonia. But, hell, their house must have been clean as hell after that. Mm-hmm. Especially if they did it the way I clean house. <laughs> At the same time that Campbell and Ammons had reached out to churches, they had reached out to clairvoyants, and the clairvoyants had told them that the house was overcome with more than 200 demons, and they advised that they make an altar in the basement. So Ammons did just that. Remember, the basement's where the previous tenant had shot himself. Okay. Yeah. Uh, They also burned sage and sulfur throughout the home. The sage I get, the sulfur I don't. I'll have to look into it. I don't... Now they have a clean house, and it smells like sulfur, which I assume it did before because of demons. Well... Maybe the the ammonia, the bleach, and the sulfur are all mixed together and actually create something that the demon can't breathe through. (laughs) Gas the demon out. Oh my gosh, it's like the holy bomb from Monty Python. Oh my... (laughs) That's what was in it. Okay. (laughs) You... You count to three, precisely three, thou shalt not count to four. (laughs) (laughs) And then you dump the ammonia and the sulfur into the bleach (laughs) and run like hell. Um, Where was I? Okay, so as much as I make fun of this, after all this activity, the house calmed down for three days. And then it got worse. Okay. They need to repeat that ammonia thing. Uh, The family claimed that the demons started to possess the children, who were 7, 9, and 12 at the time. The children's eyes would bulge. They'd get these evil grins that would spread across their face, and their voices would deepen. One of Ammon's sons was reportedly thrown across the room by an unseen force. The youngest child, who decidedly is the creepiest out of all of them... (laughs) would start growling as his eyes rolled back like into the back of his head and would say things like it's time to die and i will kill you at that point as much as i don't like seven-year-olds and i think i know a couple who would do that just to mess with you yeah i'm pretty sure that's not the norm no for how seven-year-olds act um so after the kids uh, started to be effect, uh, like affected by the demons, the family reached out to their physician for some odd reason. Doctors go through enough school, they must know how to deal with the demon. After 
after that 10 years of medical school. Listen, they tried everything else. Why That's not science? True. I cannot say the doctor's name. It's Jeffrey Onikua? Onikua? It's Jeffrey. Okay. <laughs> they reached out to their physician, Jeffrey. Uh, he said that the children's behavior was delusional, which was after, because Child Protective Services pretty much took the ch- kids away at one point, and they went and underwent a, a psychic, not psychic, but a um, psychiatric evaluation. Yeah. And the psychiatrist said, oh, it's delusional. And he said that the youngest boy in particular was was sick, that he probably had schizophrenia. But the um, Jeffrey, this doctor at this time, said that the children were just delusional. However, his medical staff said the the youngest child, the creepiest child, uh, was lifted and thrown into a wall when no one was touching him. And that's the medical staff. Okay. Um, Someone from the doctor's office did end up calling the police because they thought um, Ammons was producing this behavior like in her children. She was positively reinforcing it or something. So they called the police and Child Protective Services. Uh, this brought the police in DCS, which is the name of it's. It's basically child protective or uh, child protective surgery services. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so this brought the police in DCS to the house to investigate, and that's where a lot of the documentation for this uh, demon haunted house came from, because it's probably one of the most well-documented hauntings in a couple hundred years okay um dcs uh family case manager valerie washington handled the case of the children at first she met the family at the hospital where the children were taken after their visit to the doctor's office while there she noted that the youngest son started growling and showing his teeth Uh, His eyes rolled into the back of his head, and he locked his hands around his older brother's brother's throat. So he basically was choking him to death. They had to... Now, he's seven. There's not a lot of strength in his hands, but they had to, like, pry his hands away from his brother's throat. Which, when I hear the word pry, I just think, you're really struggling to get this kid to stop strangling his brother. Yeah. During an interview with the child, Washington said the youngest boy would growl and say that it was time to die and that he would kill her. Uh, the older brother then started headbutting his grandmother in the stomach. Then, and this is in not only Washington, who's with, I mean, Child Protective Services, she has to document everything. This is in her official report and the nurse of the hospital. It's in his official report, too. Mm-hmm. The um, eldest brother, who was nine, smiled this weird grin and began to walk backwards up the wall to the ceiling. He then flipped over his grandmother and landed on his feet. Parkour! (laughs) Parkour! Sorry. The demon's a show off. (laughs) Um, Oh, this also happened while, like, his grandmother has grabbed his hand because he had been headbutting her, so she grabbed his hand and started praying with her, and then he flipped over her head, and he never let go of her hand the entire time. So, help. Help. Like, yeah. Assisted parkour. <laughs> okay. But still, for that to be in two, I mean, like, documented uh, reports, like, official mm-hmm. reports, is 
pretty groundbreaking for something like this. Uh, The next day, uh, DCS took custody of the children, primarily just to remove them from the house. And that's where psychiatrists started evaluating them. Uh, That's when the family found Father Maginot. He agreed to interview the family a few days later. Uh, After four hours of interviewing them, he decided um, that the family was being tormented by demons, and he also believed that there were ghosts in the house. So he was really the first one to believe them. Mm -hmm. A week later, Washington, uh, the DCS worker, and Lake County police officers arrived at the house to check on the condition of the home. Captain Charles Alston, who wasn't a believer before entering the house, definitely became a believer after leaving the house. He said that he had snapped pictures on his phone only to find strange silhouettes in him. Uh, Chief Brian Miller, who was there with Alston, noticed that were, there were two doors in the basements. Uh, the one on the left that would lead to the bedroom in the basement and then the other one to get out of the basement. He says that the one on the left at various times would just change positions and that no one had gone into that room. So it would Wait, like, the door moved? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I love your face right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this mixture of disbelief and true concern. <laughs> <clears throat> so... Also in the basement was a small dirt patch under the basement stairs. So the the whole basement was concrete, but this one patch under the stairs. And it, like, drew uh, Officer Austin's attention. Once One, because he was like, wow, would a contractor just leave this dirt area? And two, because he small, saw what he thought was an altar in the dirt. There was, like, candles set up and everything. So they decided to dig it up. And they found pink press-on fingernails, a white pair of underwear, um, like an object that looks like a weight for a drapery cord, mm-hmm. uh, a political pin for your shirt, so like mm-hmm. one of those little pins, little campaign buttons, mm-hmm. a lid for a small cooking pan, and socks with the bottom bottom cut off below the ankle. So like, okay, so what is <laughs> the significance of it? Well, yeah. Uh, they also found candy wrappers and an unidentifiable heavy metal object. And it's thought that these might be used in a ritual, that it might belong to Latoya and the family or somebody else in the house. And it was these small, insignificant objects belonged to somebody, so they were used to place a curse on the house or on the person. And you gotta admit, that's just a weird number of objects to find in a dirt like a little dirt space in a concrete basement also please don't take my underwear to place a curse on me (laughs) find something a little more polite than that (laughs) i'm gonna place a curse on you but i need to be a polite curse yeah I'll just take, like, your shirt or your immortal soul. (laughs) Don't worry about it. It's fine. Not my underwear. Those are off limits. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, after leaving the house for the first time, uh, Officer Austin said that he parked at a gas station parking lot um, because he had gone, he hadn't gone in a squad car, he had gone in just a regular car, so he parked in the gas station parking lot after leaving the house for the first time, and his AM, FM radio changed, then went to static, and he heard a voice say, who's in there? 
through the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, in May, DCS and officers visited the house for the final time. So that was the first time they visited. Uh, this time there was a different DCS case manager because after the woman watched the little boy go up the stairs, she was like, nah, (laughs) (laughs) or not the stairs, but the wall. After she watched him crawl up the wall on his own, she was like, nah, I'm good. So there was a different case manager this time. Uh, while there, Officer Austin noticed oil dripping from the blinds in Campbell's room. Except that it wasn't dripping from the top or the bottom, it was dripping from the middle of the blinds, which is weird. Okay. Curious, uh, the DCS agent touched the oil. Soon after, she said that the uh, whole left side of her hand, where she had touched the oil, felt like it was on fire, and it was, they have pictures of it, it's like, it looked like she'd been burned. Oh. Yeah. Concerned that, like, the officers were concerned that perhaps Campbell, because Officer Austin had watched the rest of the family, but not Campbell. So they thought that Campbell had been placing the oil on the blinds. Um, uh, They wiped the blinds to make sure that she wasn't placing the oil there, that the house was just spontaneously producing it. They wiped the oils off the blinds, closed the door to the room, and stuck a Q-tip in the door so they would know if it had been opened. Then they went back a little while later. The Q-tip was still in the door, and the oil was back on the blinds. So nobody entered the room, and the house just spontaneously produced oil for some reason. <laughs> it's a very confusing exor- or like not exorcism, but demon haunting. Um, the same day, Father Maginot performed a minor exorcism on Ammons, and the police and the DCS case manager attended. The DCS case manager said that the ritual, like, during the ritual, it felt like someone was in the room with her and someone was breathing down her neck during the whole exorcism. Uh, Maginot ultimately performed three more major exorcisms on Ammons, two in English and the last one in Latin. And in June 2012, or he did this in June 2012 at his Maryville church. And he only performed the exorcism on Ammons, not the children. Okay. Which seems strange to me, but after he performed the exorcism, everything got better, and the Ammons family quickly moved out of the house. Uh, Immediately after their move, the enclosed front porch was inundated again with enormous black flies. Mm -hmm. So that seems to be like the beginning and the end. The flies show up, and then the flies show up in the end. In early 2014, Zach Baggins, uh, the host and executive producer of Ghost Adventures, bought the house because he'd heard about this haunting. Because it was in the news. I mean, it made, like, national news Mm. that all this was going on. And he started a documentary about the house. Before starting the documentary, he claims he had a dream that he was standing in front of a door and couldn't control his body. Uh, Then the door opens and a 12-foot-tall goat figure appears and breathes out this black, dark smoke. And he was forced to inhale it. And he says that he woke up the next day and his lungs hurt. Oh, that's creepy. Right? So... I put in my notes, I would have stopped there. Like, after (laughs) after the, um the dream i would have been like "Mm, (laughs) no he kept going uh while filming the documentary i won't tell you everything about the documentary of course because go watch it it's actually pretty good to watch i mean like i said i don't really believe in that kind of stuff but this documentary actually got to me 
Uh, while filming the documentary, a series of strange events occurred. I always put my notes a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> like the Baudelaire children. Yep. Um, so Captain Charles Austin, who was the main officer on the case with the children, uh, was interviewed for the documentary. And he, after he went back to the house for the interview, like I think a week later or something, exited a restaurant and slid on the ice and fell, knocking himself unconscious. And he later ended up being shot in a home invasion. No, this was after exiting the house. Like, after he went back to the house for the interview, all this bad stuff started happening to him. Mm-hmm. Um, the previous tenant of the house, uh, Mika, showed up during the filming of the documentary. Two days after being in the house, her daughter threatened her with a knife and then tried to kill herself by stabbing herself in the wrist. Now, she didn't cut her wrist. She stabbed herself in the wrist, which in the documentary they point out is a lot like the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, she says she doesn't remember anything about the incident. They performed an exorcism on her, too. Um, Washington, the original case manager of the house, moved away from Indiana. She moved out of the state. <laughs> That's the level of note I would have. <laughs> um, so she moved away from Indiana and went underwent therapy to process what she had seen while she was on the case. Uh, the other caseworker, within 30 days of visiting the house, she suffered three broken ribs from jet skiing, third-degree burns from a motorcycle. She broke her hand, and she broke her ankle. Oh, my God. Yeah. A home inspector, uh, after he returned home from the house, was choked by an unseen force while sleeping and then developed cancer soon after. Uh, Father Maginot, the day before the second exorcism, was on a bike ride and noticed that anyone that he rode past just looked at him confused and then he he was almost towards the end of the path and would just found himself on the ground and didn't know what happened and he looked at his bicycle to see that the seat had been bent 45 degrees um debbie costanato who had been uh working with ghost adventures with zach baggins show Mm -hmm. for numerous years um with her husband, decided to try and make contact with the demon remotely. Uh, she called him and she called Zach Baggins uh, during the documentary and told him that she thought she had made contact and, like, um, sent him the recording. And then a few months afterwards, her and her roommate were murdered by her husband in a du- double murder-suicide. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Barry Taff, who has a doctor in, um, I don't know, psychophysiology and a minor in biomedical engineering, had come to the house. He had conducted about 4,500 investigations. Um, he came to the house to see if there was, like, like man-made energy that was creating all this. Did not find any evidence of man-made energy. And then after leaving the house, his organs began to shut down one by one, and his doctors can't figure out why. One of the cameramans uh, caught on camera uh, a dark shadow that maybe went into him. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> went into him. Um, but afterwards, he seemed confused and wandered off into the basement alone. They found him in the basement, and then they took him to the hotel. And later that night, he just lost it. He started screaming at the elevator and they, in the middle of the night, and they, they came out on the floor and was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So they took him into a room 
and they were asking him what what's wrong that I saw something in the elevator and Zach Baggins goes well what did you see and he looks him straight in the eye and goes you know what I saw reminiscing to Zach Baggins dream before he started the documentary but he hadn't told him about the dream and then he said that um he felt something like swipe across his hands while he was there and he kept like throughout this he sort of kept threatening Zach Baggins throughout this whole conversation but he said he felt something sweep across his hand and after that he just sort of lost his goddamn mind he started getting into demonology and all like they let him go from the documentary they were like you're fired please leave (laughs) (laughs) and he just sort of lost his goddamn mind and then got 666 tattooed on his hand where he said he felt somebody touch okay yeah and then Zach Baggins himself had problems. He developed diplopia, I think is how you say it. Uh, doctors could not determine the cause. Uh, it's a permanent condition, and now he has to wear prism glasses. Doctors say if he gets corrective surgery, he could end up permanently blonde. And he didn't have any problems like this before going to the house. So, after watching all that, my light went out, and I went, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> It's coming for me. Oh, no. <laughs> so that is the story of um, the Ammon's haunting. I suggest watching Demon House because I can tell you about what happened to these people, but it shows what happens to everybody involved with the house, and it's eerie to watch. I mean, it's mm-hmm. really eerie to watch. So I, I suggest definitely going to watch Demon House. It's it's worth the time to watch it. Um, Other than Demon House, I got my sights from... Where did I put them? Oh, I got my... They're not here. I got my sites from Wikipedia. And the Indiana Star, I believe, did a... What is it? Article. (laughs) The Indiana Star did an article about all of this where I got a lot of the information. Um, And it's a very well put together article. So go look that up if you want more information on it. Um... Don't, I wish I had the author's name, but I've lost that document. <laughs> but that's where I got all of my sites. And please don't go. Zach Baggins had it had the house torn down, so please don't go do rituals on the side of the house. Yeah, that's just inviting trouble. There was me and Cody were talking about this. There was a point at the end of the documentary where he's tearing it down and it just goes back to like when he was interviewing some of the police at the beginning of the documentary and one of the policemen clearly said, If you tear it down, what are you gonna release upon the world? And at the end he was obsessed with tearing the house down. Mm. I was like, Oh yay, now it's just looking for a new host. <laughs> I'm glad it's in my house. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the Ammons haunting, and it's one of the most well-documented um, hauntings in probably this century. Okay. Really, it's really creepy. Oh. A lot of that is super creepy. See, you watch this stuff at night when you're by yourself. <laughs> I always just end up watching like these episodes of TV shows. It's like, watch these people lose everything they've ever cared about all in one night. <laughs> and that that's what gets to me. Like, natural disaster shows and Homicide Hunter, usually. No, I was um, indoctrined, I would say, into horror movies when I was young. Because I had an 
older stepbrother who would watch them and did not give a shit if I was in the room. <laughs> so I was permanently scarred as a child. And then Cody was like, let's watch The Grudge. It won't be bad. And I still, to this day, can't watch that movie. <laughs> and ever since, like, ever since The Grudge, nothing seemed as bad. <laughs> Bear. Because that bitch just follows you anywhere. It's not even, like, you can leave the continent of Japan. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> surprise! <laughs> it's not a continent. <laughs> the country of Japan. <laughs> I wasn't going to correct you. I realized as soon as I said continent, that's not right, Sam. Please say something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the grudge is terrifying. Yep. Yeah, no, I don't like it. Yep. Well. <laughs> well. Anyway, thank you all for uh, listening all to for us putting, this week. Yeah, thank you all for putting up with our sick, gravelly voices. <laughs> we appreciate it. All right, well, thank uh, you for listening. If you have a hometown story, please write in at uh, what's in your hometown at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at what's in your hometown. It's mostly full of cat and lizard pictures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so enjoy. <laughs> um, and remember, with all the crazy shit in the world, you have got to wonder. What is in your hometown? Bye. Bye.